Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, here we go again, Mark. Nice to be with you. InformedDissentMedia.com. InformedDissentMedia.com. So much to talk about, so little time. And uh, we were talking a little bit off air, and we've got a bunch of questions that have come in since our last podcast. And uh, we really appreciate all of you listening and spreading it when you listen to the podcast. If you like it, share it on your social media, tell your friends and family, and hopefully we can spread the truth about COVID-19 and the intersection of healthcare and politics. So Mark, you've got a whole slew of questions uh, I thought it would be fun to get to those questions and uh, see if we can help our listeners with uh, some of the issues that they have on their mind. Well, I've teed them all up here for you. And the first one is from Kendall Poppy. Kendall Poppy says, hi, we keep hearing from the quote unquote experts and mainstream media that children are being hospitalized at an increased rate with the Delta variant and that this is one of the big reasons children need to be vaccinated. Is this true? Can you address this on your podcast? Thank you. Well, that's a great question, Kendall. And thank you so much for listening and hopefully uh, sharing our podcast with others. You know, it's a misnomer. First of all, um, children represent probably the largest group of unvaccinated people. And understandably, there really is no reason for them to be vaccinated. Uh, They can get ill with COVID almost always when they get ill. It's like a bad cold. A couple, three days, they bounce back. They do really, really well. Very rarely do kids get sick where they need hospitalization. And almost every single case where a child is hospitalized, they've had some significant underlying health condition. Um, Healthy children just simply rarely get so ill that they need uh, medical attention beyond just outpatient care. Um, But of course, when a child is hospitalized, it's dramatic and the media loves it. You know that old adage in the media, if it bleeds, it leads. Reminds me a couple weeks ago, there was an article in the Orange County Register, front page, a child uh, less than five uh, died from COVID-19. Of course, our hearts go out to the parents. It's a horrible tragedy. But you had to wait until the very last paragraph to learn that this child had significant underlying health concerns. I can't remember exactly whether this is a child that was uh, suffering from some sort of uh, childhood cancer or diabetes or something of that sort, but it was was not insignificant. Uh, But they didn't want to tell you that up front because they wanted this narrative that children are not immune to COVID and they're at high risk in order to push this vaccine. You know, driving home today, I was listening to Project Veritas that just came out today. And it was the Johnson & Johnson executives. There was a couple executives and there was a scientist and they were recorded. And what they said is they don't know about long-term complications in children. They would never give their vaccine to children. Uh, they don't think children actually need to be vaccinated. And these are Johnson & Johnson employees that are saying this. So hopefully more of, more of this information comes out to make everybody aware that there just simply is no scientific or health reason to be mass vaccinating children. They're not at risk and it doesn't make sense to be vaccinating a child against a disease that they are not at risk 
with an investigational product with limited testing, no long-term testing, using brand new, never before used technology in a vaccine known as messenger RNA. So Kendall, I hope that answers your question. Mark, anything to add to that? I wanted to mention something that I've been hearing from physicians that I met with recently out in Puerto Rico who work all across the United States and see a lot of patients in hospital. They've told me that what they're seeing an enormous uptick in is hospitalizations of children for what's called respiratory syncytial virus or RSV, which is a very common respiratory infection in young people. These kids come into the hospital with RSV and of course they're tested for the Wuhan virus and all the variants on admission and sometimes they come back positive partly because of false positives, partly because they just have some uh, dead viral particles stuck in their nose that they're carrying around you know, month after month. Uh, but they're not actually sick from this virus. They're sick from RSV. And they are counted by the local health departments and by the CDC as COVID patients. That's actually where those numbers come from. So you have to be really, really careful when you look at these stats that are being bandied around and ask yourself, if there might be uh, some fudging or massaging of this data in order to fit a narrative, which is that children are getting sick and dying from this disease in order to uh, push the, uh, the, the needle further towards the side of coerced and forced vaccination. Uh, I think that that is a really important point that is uh, lost on a lot of people because it's, it's such a tricky, uh, tricky subject. Absolutely. And the death toll in children still remain uh, incredibly low. And go check this out yourself. Go to the CDC website, type in uh, COVID death by age, and you'll see, uh, I think the last time I looked, it was like 435 children that have died of COVID. And of course, those are all tragedies uh, and horrible situations, but those numbers pale in comparison to other causes of death of young people. Also, if you uh, dig down into those numbers, it's something like 98% of every one of those deaths occurred in children with significant underlying health issues. So healthy children just simply do not die as a result of COVID. And when they get infected, they do quite fine. Um, so in my opinion, we should not be, and there is no reason to be vaccinating children for COVID-19. Our next question is from Am Hesser. And she says, or he says, my understanding is that the cost of treatment using hydroxychloroquine used to be about $10, but now it seems like it's about 10 times what it used to be. It feels like we're being taken advantage of. Is there an honest pharmacy where somebody can get hydroxychloroquine or perhaps ivermectin? Where and who can I tell to go to get in touch with to get these drugs? Well, you know, it's a really good question, and uh, there's some truth to that. Hydroxychloroquine is available generically and should be pennies per pill. Many pharmacies are refusing to dispense hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And as a result, there's a bit of a supply and demand uh, mismatch. And so some of the mom and pop pharmacies realize that there's a demand for it, so they can obviously raise the price a bit. Hydroxychloroquine still is very cheap. Ivermectin is a bit more expensive. Uh, but if you look around, you should be able to find it um, and, and have it affordable. Ivermectin is available over-the-counter in many places, even Mexico. I have some patients. We live in California. I'm in Southern California that will go down to Mexico and buy it. Now, I'm not recommending that you do that because it's always a little sketchy to wonder what product are you getting. 
and uh, are you being taken advantage of? Um, but you should be able to find it, but it requires a little bit of work. My experience has been um, I, I bypass all the, the brand pharmacies, the Rite Aids, the CVSs, Walgreens. I've had some success at Costco, though. They seem to still be prescribing. Uh, but mostly it's the compounding pharmacies or the mom and pop pharmacies uh, that are willing to prescribe. So there are several resources that you can uh, get access to a doctor for telemedicine. Um, I think the best one that curates all these sites, I think there's five different sites now, is called mycovidcare.org, mycovidcare.org. And on that site, you have access to a variety of um, protocols, outpatient, prevention, treatment, inpatient hospitalization protocols. And then there's a list of the five sites that do telemedicine, including uh, America's frontline doctors. Um, and these sites are being overwhelmed, quite honestly. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands of people call to these sites daily because there's not enough physicians across the country that otherwise have the skill or wherewithal to be able to uh, prescribe for either ill patients or preventatively or just to have so patients have it uh, in stock. So I think it's important that you don't wait until you're ill to try to figure out where to get it and how to get help. That is really the key. We've talked about this before, not unlike preparing for an earthquake in California. You don't want to prepare after the earthquake. You want to prepare before the earthquake. I know it sounds obvious, uh, but the same is true with COVID. Um, get prepared. And if it's telemedicine you have to use, so be it. If you can find a local doctor that will help you even better. And then before you call a doctor and ask for a prescription, call around your local pharmacies. The questions to ask are, do you have ivermectin in stock and are you willing to dispense it uh, for COVID? And if the answer is yes, put a star by that pharmacy and then go seek out the prescription uh, before you get uh, before you get ill. I think you just answered the next question, which is from the same person, actually, regarding the America's Frontline Doctors online telemedicine. Uh, the question is very detailed and specific, but essentially it uh, involves uh, what you just described, that they're overwhelmed. They have a lot of uh, requests. Some people aren't getting through, and it's a little tricky to try to get the uh, medication in time and for the number of days you need. This is true across the board. It is uh, simply a, a problem that we have of not enough doctors and too much need. So people are doing whatever they can. They're making the best efforts. Uh, it's a flawed system. They're doing um, really all that they can. Sometimes things fall through the cracks, but be persistent and patient and forgiving. Uh, they're not denying you service. They're just trying to uh, manage an overwhelming need with limited resources. Exactly. And, and by the way, if you're a physician listening and you're interested in helping, uh, send us an email. Let us know who you are and we can put you in touch with one of these telemedicine groups. I know they're looking for more doctors. I, as it turns out, I um, had an opportunity to visit with Simone Gold, of course, the founder and leader of America's Frontline Doctors this weekend. And she told me there's about 100 doctors in total, America's Frontline Doctors, that are doing telemedicine telehealth. And, um, you know, she kind of apologized on behalf of the group saying they are literally overwhelmed. They're getting four to 5,000 calls, requests a day for help. And there's just not enough bandwidth with these doctors. Even if they sit in front of their computer and phones all day long, they can't take care of all the requests. 
The other uh, sites I think are less impacted, but still impacted. So if you're a doc who's listening and you wanna get involved, um, even if you're uncomfortable right now with some of the protocols, we can teach you how to do that. And America's Frontline Doctors will teach you how to do that. And it's a great way to, to be able to help people that are desperate for help um, that really have no other option. So reach out to us, email us, we'll get in touch with you, and we'll put you in touch with one of the telemedicine uh, groups so you can uh, participate. I have another question here from Jay Broughton, who wants to know when we're going to come out with a podcast for the iPhone, meaning Apple Podcasts. <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I, I'm a I'm a podcast junkie. Um, I'm lucky. I mean, not lucky, but it takes me about 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes to drive to work. And I'm addicted to podcasts. Um, and there's almost not enough time in the day for me to listen to all the podcasts that I love to listen. And primarily, I use the Apple podcast uh, um, app that comes on the iPhone because it's so convenient and so easy. Apple has a whole process. And it takes a while for them to approve you and ultimately get get you on your platform. Um, so our our producer, who is doing an awesome job with this, I, I hope you agree by the sound quality and the way we're putting this together and so forth, uh, he is working hard to get Apple to uh, put us on their system. Right now, we're on many other systems, including Spotify. Uh, so you can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, or you can go directly to our website, informeddissentmedia.com. Every podcast is posted there, so you can uh, you can listen there. You can also go on Amazon Music. It's available Amazon Music. <laughs> and as we're talking, he's he, there's a chat uh, function. He's listing all the places that we are. Sorry, Doc, didn't mean to diss you there. Google, it's available. Uh, Stricher, is that right? S-T-R-I-T-C-H-E-R. And Reason FM. So there's a lot of outlets. Um, so listen to us wherever you can and spread the word. Share the information. If you listen to it and you like it, use your social media to share it. Uh, text it. Email it to your friends and family. Uh, the more people that listen, the more people that will learn the truth. And I think we're actually able to help uh, by giving people the truth and sharing with them resources that they can use to get ivermectin, uh, to get telehealth and telemedicine. One of the curated, on this curated site that I was uh, talking about, mycovidcare.org, there's actually a listing of doctors in your area that will treat COVID. And you might get lucky and find a local doctor that you didn't even realize existed and you can reach out to them directly, become their patient. And, uh, and get help that way. That's the best way, actually. I do have some concerns about the telemedicine uh, groups. Uh, unfortunately, it's not difficult to treat COVID, but it's a process. And if you get sick and you need medications, there's an evolution to, to this disease. Sometimes we need to add medications, give you advice, change up supplements and so forth. So it's a process. And if all you have are the prescriptions, that's certainly better than not having them. Um, you don't get that interaction with a physician who can help you through the process. So in a perfect world, you'd find a local doctor that understands how to treat this. You develop a relationship with that person. So if you need help, it's not just a prescription, but it's a relationship with that doctor. Ashley has a couple of questions here. Uh, the first one is, 
regarding her husband, who just got an email saying that he has to be fully vaccinated by November 22nd. And he works at a nuclear power plant. He's a federal employee and he can't afford to lose his job. He will not take this vaccine. But unfortunately, if he doesn't, he's going to be fired. What can he do? Is there any information you can provide, legal or otherwise, that might be able to help? I have asked so many doctors, nurses, and others for information. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. And Ashley, your husband is not alone. There's uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across the country that, that are in a similar position. Um, there's, first of all, before I forget, when you email us, let us know where you're from. Uh, it's really fun for us to hear that you're somewhere across the United States or even the world. We, we, I know we have a listener in Australia because there's nothing else to do. They're locked in their homes. And if they go out of their homes, they get arrested, you know, so they're just sitting in their homes, listening to podcasts all day long. So let us know where you're listening from. Uh, so Ashley, your husband, what I would do, first of all, um, as a federal employee, you have rights. And specifically, you do have the right for uh, religious exemptions. America's Frontline Doctors has a whole section on uh, on exemptions and how to do that. And they have a, a legal se- section as well where you can actually reach out to attorneys that are available to help. And some of these other legal institutes um, uh, may be available to you as well. There's one in particular, and I'm looking up the name, and I think it's called Liberty uh, First Liberty. So check that out. First Liberty is a group. It's a civil rights group that helps people that are having difficulty. And right now they're focused on these mandates, vaccine mandates, mass mandates. Uh, They're deeply involved in what's going on with the military mandates as well. Uh, I was on their site today and it's filled with information, including they have, I think it's about a 50 page downloadable religious exemption guidebook that you can use um, that will lead you through the various federal codes that you can list on on the exemption when you request a religious exemption or some other kind of exemption. So Ashley, thanks for the question. Hang in there, stay strong, don't give up, and don't give in to tyranny. Ashley has a follow-up question that I think is actually quite interesting. I've been asked this uh, many times. In fact, several people asked this very question. I was speaking in front of a group in Pasadena just yesterday called Healthy and Free, which has to do with people who, maybe it's not you, maybe it's a family member, somebody that you care about who feels compelled for whatever reason to go get this this vaccine. And you want to make sure that they can be as safe as possible when they're getting a product that could cause them harm. And so she's asking, what about detox protocols? Mm -hmm. Are there detox protocols available for people who decided to get the vaccine? They've either got it, just got it, or they're about to. Is there anything that we can do to help minimize the harm, protect people who, for whatever reason, just just had to go and get that shot? You know, that's a good question. On the FLCCC website, Frontline COVID Coalition, I can't remember what it stands for, but under uh, mycovidcare.org, the FLCCC site is listed, and they do have a protocol. And I'm asked this all the time. I I don't have a choice. I have to get the vaccine. Um, Which vaccine should I get? And is there something I can do to prepare myself to minimize any potential side effects uh, from the vaccine? 
Uh, the bottom line is we don't really know the answer simply because there's no studies to show yay or nay for that. But there are some folks that have uh, put together some best guess protocols for this. And the ones I've seen include uh, a few days before you get a vaccine, uh, start um, adult strength aspirin, assuming you have no contraindications for taking aspirin. Uh, a few days before you start uh, ivermectin as if you're treating COVID, and then you continue this for about a week after you're vaccinated. Whether it will work and minimize side effects, whether it will uh, prevent any complications, I don't know. Uh, but at least, you know, at least it's it's something if you have to get vaccinated to uh, uh, to you know try to minimize the effects. Um, you can so go go online there that that uh, curated website does have some of those types of protocols and you can uh, poke around and see what you think. The question I also get that's part of this is if I'm going to get vaccinated and I have no choice, does it matter which vaccine should I get? And I don't know specifically what the answer is. If if somebody forced me to get vaccinated or a family member to get vaccinated and I had to choose. Um, I think I would choose the Johnson & Johnson vaccine for two reasons. One, it's just one shot, not two. And the second is it doesn't use messenger RNA. It works by a different mechanism. And the mechanism is they use an adenovirus vector. That's the, uh, that's the process by which the material gets into the, into the body through a, through a virus, an adenovirus, that's been attenuated so it can't actually infect you. And then they use double-stranded DNA as the tool to force your body ultimately to make the end result, which is the spike protein. So it's not messenger RNA, uh, it's double-stranded DNA with an adenovirus vector. So I don't know that it's safer or better or uh, less side effects or if the VAERS vaccine adverse event reporting system website differentiates between the various vaccines. I don't know if somebody's broken that down. Um, but that being said, if I if I had to choose a family member who's going to get the vaccine, which one I think I would do that one, and I wouldn't hesitate using one of these protocols to try to minimize the effect. What, what do you think, Mark? What have you heard about it? I've talked to Dr. Pierre Corey, who manages uh, that site that is so difficult to remember, <laughs> flccc.com, <laughs> the C COVID Critical Care Alliance. It's, it's, it's not very well named, but the site is beautifully designed. It is. Very easy to follow. Lots of great printable PDFs organized in different categories like pre-symptom, early symptom, post-symptom, prophylaxis, long-haul COVID. It's really, really good. It's updated daily or, or very, very often. And uh, I am convinced from speaking to him and hearing from other physicians that using ivermectin, as he recommends on that site, does increase your safety profile from the likelihood that you are going to develop some kind of syndrome or adverse event or side effect from getting these vaccines. And, and I have actually used ivermectin myself when I became somewhat worn down and tired and, and felt uncomfortably out of sorts, not after having been vaccinated, not after being infected, at least from what I know, but possibly from being exposed to uh, some kind of viral shedding or perhaps a, a, a small dose of the virus that didn't really make me symptomatic. And uh, after taking ivermectin for about five days, uh, I really did feel significantly better. My fatigue uh, improved. I was sleeping better. I didn't have headaches anymore. It really made a big difference. Uh, and, and you no longer had worms, apparently, too. Free. 
Is that right? Uh, I stopped having that awful worm problem that's been persisting since I came back from Uganda a few years ago, and I just never bothered to get treated. So it really took care of a lot of the problems that I've been having for, for quite a long time. Excellent. We have another question here from a, a couple of seniors, actually, in their 70s, sent by the wife, Peggy, who lives in Dana Point, California. And she gives us some background. She says, we have an internal medicine physician for the two of us who will not prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Never heard of that before. <laughs> if we become ill, he's already told them, if you get sick, I'm not going to take care of you. Yeah. If you get sick, do what I tell everybody to do, and that's sit at home, isolate yourself. And if you no longer can breathe, then go to the hospital and maybe somebody will treat you. That's uh, Peggy's doctor's protocol, apparently. Yeah. She's not quite satisfied with that, however, and she says, you know, we're currently taking supplements, vitamin D, zinc, et cetera. We're doing well. We're fine. We're healthy. However, we did receive the Pfizer vaccine in February or March of this year. I just heard you, Dr. Barkey and Dr. McDonald, on the Sebastian Gorka show and the Tucker Carlson interview. Thank you for listening to both of us and watching. I thought I heard a reference on one of your interviews to obtaining medication for symptoms ahead of time. And I believe what she means by that is ahead of having actual symptoms. So pre-symptomatic prophylaxis, essentially, in order to prevent infection. I'm interested in obtaining some access to these prophylactic medications for my husband and I before we actually need them. You've been listening to the podcast. That's what Dr. Barkey's been exhorting us to do every single week. Perhaps I'm wrong about that. No, you are not. No, you're not wrong about it. And as a matter of fact, the website that we can't quite remember how to call the name, it's, it's actually called COVID-19 Critical Care, COVID-19CriticalCare.com. And on that website, they have a prophylaxis protocol, meaning what can you take ahead of time to prevent yourself from getting ill? And the ivermectin recommendation is that you take it twice weekly. And it makes sense. It's very, very safe. It would be hard to hurt somebody with ivermectin. And if you want to add an added uh, length of protection, you could layer onto that hydroxychloroquine for prevention. And the, and the dosing of hydroxychloroquine is once a week. So you take hydroxychloroquine once a week, ivermectin twice a week, and that's the prophylactic um, regimen, if you will, in addition to, of course, the supplements that uh, you had mentioned. Um, so I have many patients on this prophylactic uh, regimen, and in particular, somebody who's at high risk um, that is not going to get vaccinated, then I think it's worthwhile to do that. I mean, listen, even if you are vaccinated, we're seeing lots of vaccinated people get ill. Um, the vaccine does not prevent uh, infection. Uh, it may reduce the severity of symptoms, no question about that, uh, but it neither prevents infection nor does it prevent transmission uh, from people that are vaccinated. And that's one of the problems and why Dr. McDonald and I continue to harp on this idea that it's not really a vaccine. It's more of a genetic therapeutic than a vaccine because it re may reduce symptoms, the severity of symptoms. But what a vaccine ideally should do and definitionally is prevent somebody from getting ill. 
I mean, that's what we think about every other vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella, and so forth, is that you don't get those diseases if you're vaccinated. It's not just that you end up with a mild case of chickenpox or just a mild case of measles. You just simply don't get them and you don't transmit them. That's not the case with the COVID-19 vaccine, as evidenced by Pfizer CEO and others coming out and saying, we need a booster now six months after you get the vaccine. These vaccines simply are not working as advertised. So um, yes, prophylaxis is a thing. The telemedicine links can provide you two doctors that will prescribe the prophylactic doses of these medications. Uh, down in Dana Point, um, there are some compounding pharmacies you can look at. I know there's a compounding pharmacy in Newport Beach. There's one in San Diego that I use. Um, so those are absolutely available to you. So appreciate the question, keep them coming. Last uh, statement is really just a, uh, a comment from Seema Melky, who says, I'd like to get your podcast on CastBox. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that is, <laughs> but I have no too. idea what CastBox is. If you want to get it on CastBox, then I want you to get it on CastBox. I assume it's some podcast app and... Uh, uh, in the background here producing our show is, uh, is Doc, and he just, uh, he just chatted with us. He says, in all caps, he will look into it. Um, so hopefully we'll make this available on even more platforms, as many as possible, and uh, soon, soon, soon to be on the, uh, uh, the Apple uh, podcast uh, platform as well. We hope anyways. Um, so anyways, this is, this is great. I love answering questions. Uh, I think it's important to you that we answer questions and keep them coming. As a reminder, please let us know where you're from. And if there are topics that you want us to cover that you haven't heard us cover, let us know. If there are things we can do to improve what we're doing, let us know that as well. And uh, tune in for our next episode. Mark, great being with you again. As a reminder, informeddissentmedia.com. And thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.